So this is why gut health is connected to the rest of your body and why sometimes things like even anxiety and depression aren't a diagnosis unto themselves. They're actually a symptom of poor gut health. Welcome to the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast with leading DIY lifestyle blogger, Anna Fulmer, where women are inspired with authentic stories and practical strategies to reclaim their hearts and homes by empowering transformation, one imperfect day at a time. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Fulmer. Today on the show, we have Dr. Laura Brown. Dr. Laura is a registered naturopathic physician with a functional medicine approach to repair damage and rebuild health. She is the author of best-selling book, Beyond Digestion, and she is here to teach us how our gut health could be affecting our overall health and what we can do about it. Welcome, Dr. Laura Brown. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, Anna? I am good. How are you? I am well. Nice book behind you. Goodness. Thank you. <laughs> I love how color coordinated it is too. It's all very synergistic behind me here. <laughs> there you go. There you go. How are you this morning? I'm good. Welcome to the podcast. This is so fun to have you. Well, thank you so much. I love meeting people through podcasts. We have such interesting yeah. conversations. And wow, you've got some great podcasts out there. I listened to a few of them. Um, The Busy Family, this is wonderful. You're just (laughs) rocking it on all levels. Oh, that's sweet of you. Well, I don't know about rocking it. I'm doing something. (laughs) Surviving is more like it. (laughs) I love, I'm looking behind you here. It's funny. I know that it's not, but it looks like you're in a bar with a bunch of whiskey bottles. (laughs) Oh, no, that's my tincture cabinet. (laughs) It's so cute. I love it. We all know that that is not a bunch of whiskey, but it's so cute. I love the cabinet set up behind you. There you go. Well, the shots of uh, ginseng are great. So I mean, <laughs> what can I say? They are shots, just not of alcohol. Well, I, as everyone can see here, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening, I have Dr. Laura's book behind me here, Beyond Digestion. We're going to dive into that in a little bit. I thoroughly enjoyed the book. There was a lot that I learned. And even as a nurse practitioner... There's a lot of things, you know, having worked in the ER for 10 years, we are our own world. And a lot of the things that we refer people to or we suggest, a lot of times we don't even know exactly what it entails. We just know it's the next step for them. So I really enjoyed learning more about food testing, sensitivity testing. We're going to dive into all of that. But let's press the rewind button a little bit because one of the favorite things that I like to talk about is how you got to where you are Today, and you have a lot of interesting, you live in Ontario, Mm -hmm. Canada, and I understand that you were, is it Miss Ontario? Oh, goodness. Yes. When I was a teen, I did fitness, (laughs) like was bodybuilding then, but it was more like what fitness is now. And yes, I had the Miss Teen Ontario title in the fitness competition. So I had competed. It was interesting because that's kind of how it started to, for me to understand how what you eat connects with how you feel in your body. And that was kind of the beginning of the journey because I figured out that, wow, I feel so much better when I'm eating clean, which was essentially lots of protein. At that point, it wasn't a lot of fat, which probably wasn't so good, but that's hindsight. You know, we learn things as we go along. Mm -hmm. Right. Tell me a little bit about that experience. You were 16 years old at that time. What did it entail? Can you think of specifics, ways that you changed your diet that 
sort of propelled you to where you are? You said mentioned eating clean, but can you think of specific things that you remember changing or even just in your fitness routine too? Yeah, absolutely. Like I had always done gymnastics as a child and then mm. I had issues with my knee. So I had to quit gymnastics and then I coached gymnastics when I was like 11 years old. I was coaching kids from two to 18. And then my dad bought a gym and that was kind of interesting and he loved to work out. And part of my physio for my knees was a lot of like weightlifting or, you know, just the yeah. machines and the equipment. I yeah. thought, you know what? I don't need to go to an appointment like this every week. I can just go to the gym and have my workout because I was so used to being active for four or five hours, like four nights a week. And, you know, it, it just wasn't voting me well to be sitting around. So I just started to do that. And then on top of that, I ended up with a diagnosis of hypothyroidism. I had, At the age of um, 16? No, like a younger, like 14, 15, my periods wow. didn't really come and things weren't yeah. quite right. Mm-hmm. And I ended up doing a lot of, you know, doctor's appointments to figure out what was going on there. Mm-hmm. And it was like two different things happening at the same time. But I noticed, you know, when I was eating, you know, when I was preparing for competitions or eating clean, and then when I say eating clean, it was just a lot of protein, like right. a lot of fish. At that point, my dad's friend had a fish shop and it was fish and chips, but he was getting the cod by the case. So he'd get, yeah. the, you know, so I just didn't do my cod up and I do my veggies and not yeah. a lot of carbohydrate, just a lot of greens and protein. Mm-hmm. And that combined with the type of training and it was a lot of weight training and some cardio. I mean, I was doing a lot of things at the time, like biking and running and but not a lot of running because my knees didn't handle it. So I ended up biking more play volleyball. Like I was pretty active that way. Yeah. So lots of, and that's what I find even today. It's not like just one thing. It's being active in different things, you know, like getting on the bike, going out in the garden. If you have a chance to go canoeing, go canoeing. If you have a chance to do some rowing, I did some rowing in high school as well. I loved it. It was just for fun to here and there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just like try different things and just have fun with it. Mm -hmm. So, and then, you know, and then I finished kind of that. I went off to university and I thought, oh, you know, and then I started eating like all the cafeteria food and yeah. which was totally different than anything I was ever raised with or what I was eating when I was competing. Right. And I felt awful and everything. And I brain fog, couldn't focus, acne. And I'm like, what's with this? So then I just started to, you know, you, you visit the nutritionist and they, you know, well, this is the carbohydrate you should eat. And none of it worked. It just made me feel yeah. worse. So it was through trial and error that I realized that, you know, gluten, and I used to think it was carbohydrates. I'm like, what's with, I can't eat bread, but I can eat potatoes. What's with that? And I didn't really know at the time, but it was just kind of parsing things out. I thought I was crazy, but I started to learn. And it wasn't until I was probably in my thirties that I actually went totally gluten-free and then later dairy-free and later sugar-free. So it's been an evolution. And that's what I always say, you know, it's evolution, not revolutions. You know, it takes time to kind of get there. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the book because wish, boy, I wish I knew a lot more then, yeah. you know, yeah. and I have a lot of patients that come in. So the book's not just about my story. It's about lots of patients that come yeah. in and kind of their experiences too, yeah. because we all have our own unique experiences and there's no one right diet for anyone, but there are some basic human body requirements that there's kind of a recipe there. Yeah. Yeah. Now tell me a little bit about your process in going gluten-free because this is a concept and we'll dive more into specifics later, but you know, a lot of people don't understand the difference between celiacs being gluten intolerant, being gluten, the difference between sort of the different implications of being sensitive to gluten. So tell us your experience 
Do you have celiacs? Do you have a gluten intolerance? How was that diagnosed? How did you approach that? For myself, because it was such a process of slow elimination, Yeah. by the time I eliminated it, I didn't want to go back to eating it to get tested. Okay. So that was my choice. It just wasn't worth it. And I have a lot of suspicion of, you know, family traits that maybe people that I, you know, aunts and grandmothers and parents that, you know, I'm just like, well, maybe there's some celiac there, but I don't really know. I think mine is more like a non-celiac wheat sensitivity, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I don't want to go back to eat it to be tested to see. So, sure. So if I'm in a restaurant, sometimes I'll say celiac because then I know I'll have it prepared properly. But technically, I think it's just non-celiac wheat sensitivity. I'm very, very, very sensitive like a celiac. So I treat my body like a celiac. There's no vacations from it or anything because it's just not a treat for me. It's actually quite awful. So Right. Right. And we'll talk for people who don't understand what we're talking about. We will dive into that a little bit later in terms of specifically the step-by-step, how you go about diagnosing these different terminologies so that you can understand that with a little bit more clarity. I also noted that you live on 20 acres in Ontario, Canada. I'm a little jealous already. Tell me a little bit, what do you do with your 20 acres? You mentioned canoeing. You clearly are an active person and she lives on 20 acres. So what are you doing on those 20 acres? And well, when can we, I come? Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I'd love to have you. It'd be so much fun. So on the 20 acres, part of it, I would say about half of it is wooded with ponds and wetlands. So we get a lot of mm. ducks and, you know, just like really pretty stuff. And we back and share other land with our neighbors. So there's a trail system that goes through our property and then some of our neighbor's property. And they're so kind as to allow us to walk. So I'll take the dog for a walk. And obviously, you know, being in Ontario, that's I'm typically walking on the trails from like September till May, and then the bugs get Mm. really bad and I just avoid Mm. it. And then I'm in the pool, right? We've got a swimming pool. And then my son has his master's in agriculture and he has like a really amazing garden. I just go out and pick and help him do things. I am so jealous. I hope my children get a master's in agriculture. Yeah, get them to grow your lettuce. It's great. Seriously. (laughs) Oh my. So what is your weather like? This is showing my ignorance. So I'm on the East Coast. We're in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. What is Ontario like in comparison? Well, because we're nestled in between all the Great Lakes, we do get modified weather because of the large bodies of water. So in the wintertime, we can go to like minus... 25 minus 20 can be kind of a cold day in January, February. But in the summer, like very cold. Oh, sorry. This I'm talking Celsius. So let me think Fahrenheit. Oh, okay. So that would be like zero Fahrenheit kind of thing, like very cold. That's still very, very cold. Yesterday was 87 degrees Fahrenheit. So interesting. Okay. You get really big swings of weather. Yeah. So it's like we're definitely four season people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that though. Well, yeah. Anyone that's been around here for any length of time knows how much I love. We're looking for property right now. So I enjoy hearing what other people are doing on their properties. So that sounds incredible. Give us one before we start diving into your expertise here. Give us in your journey of becoming a naturopathic physician, functional medicine doctor. Can you think of a time where there was a mistake that you made in your journey or a major learning curve that you look back on and you think this was a pivotal moment in my success down the road. And what 
advice might you give to somebody who is struggling, feeling like they don't have what it takes, they're making all these mistakes, they're not seeing the outcomes? Yeah, for sure, Anna, because this is my second career. My first career was, you know, I quit university, helped my first husband with his business. It was a technology business, which was going really well at the time. We had two beautiful children. And when the marriage didn't work out, then Mm. I exited from the business as well. And I hadn't, you know, there I was not finished university. And what do I do? So I went out and I used my skills I had and I got into uh, technology. When I left that, I was a senior account executive with Microsoft Business Solutions. So I worked my way up, worked really hard through that, but it wasn't aligning with my soul. And my whole passion is in the sciences. And, you know, I got to a point where I could keep going. But my kids were now off to university. And mm. my second husband, he said to me, he goes, you know, what do you really want to do? And I'm like, I want to go back to my sciences. I think I want to be a naturopathic doctor. So I went back, finished my university degree and to get all my credits I needed in the sciences. Then I went on to medical college and that was four years and then did my pharmaceutical disqualifications after that. And then always continuing education, I went into Chris Cresser's ADAPT functional medicine program. So I did that for a year while I was practicing. And now it's just like, you're always learning. That's what I love about this role is it's a continual learning of how the mind, body, and soul are are knit together. And we're just amazing creatures. And as much as we feel that we can know, there's always more to learn. So it was just not looking back. You know, At the point where I made that decision to go back and do everything, it was like, you know what? In five years, I'm going to be five years older. What will I have done that I'm going to feel good about? So I left my age behind and just said, I need to do what my soul needs to do. And here I am. I love that. I left my age behind. I think that's a poignant statement. We get so caught up in, well, I'm already this age or I'm already at this stage of life. And so you sort of feel like you can't make the changes. And I love the point that you've made. And I've heard this a lot. It's the idea that the time is going to pass regardless. What are you going to do with it? And I think your story is a beautiful testament to doing something that will make a difference, not just for you, but for other people. When you feel like you're aligned and your passions are there, every day is, I mean, there's always 20% that's a little irky, but 80% is just amazing, right? 80% 20% that's a little irky. I love that. (laughs) Amen. Sometimes it's more like 40. Sometimes it's more like 15. You never know. It averages out. <laughs> Depends on how my kids wake up that morning, whether or not it's going to be a 15% kind of a day or a 40% kind of a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just for sure. don't know. I love that. Well, take notes. If you get nothing else from this entire hour, hear that. What'd you say? Leave age behind. Yeah. Except that you're going to have the 20% irkiness part of life. And what were you going to say? Just do what aligns with your soul. It's, you know, one thing I wish I had known more so that I could teach my kids or had known when I was younger is to learn that inner yes and inner no. And I'm still learning it because I think it's more difficult as you're an adult. But when you learn that inner yes and inner no, then you know what aligns with your soul. Mm -hmm. And then you're truly just following, you know, what you're meant to do. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't really matter what everybody else does because you hope that they find their own thing so that they can mm-hmm. shine and be beautiful too. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I love that. We are going to take a really quick break, but when we come back, stay tuned for a speed round of this or that with Dr. Laura, and we are going to hear her expert advice on how your gut health could be affecting your overall health and what you can do about it. Stay tuned right when we come back. You have tried it all. Worried you will never lose the extra weight or reclaim the energy you once enjoyed? Want to achieve fat loss without spending hours in a gym or eliminating entire food groups from your diet? Well, now you can. In the virtual Faster Way to Fat Loss with Anna, my six-week fitness and nutrition program, you will learn how to pair effective 30-minute workouts with all-natural evidence-based nutritional strategies to leverage what you eat and when you eat to reset your metabolism and burn fat fast, even that stubborn belly fat. I am a dual certified nurse practitioner passionate about teaching sustainable strategies to promote fat loss and prevent disease. I have cheered on thousands of clients who have done just that with the Faster Way program. In my six-week program, the average client currently sheds seven inches of body fat. 93% report more energy and 89% state that their mental health has improved. 100% of clients report they feel this program is sustainable. Curious to try the program but not sure if the strategies will work for you? Try the Faster Way strategies for free. Head to www.hammersandhugs.com and sign up for my free seven-day fat loss accelerator course today and start your own transformation story. We are back here with Dr. Laura Brown. Dr. Laura, we're going to play a quick round of this or that. It is two options. You just pick one. No stress. Family card game or board game? Mm, we don't do a whole lot of either, but probably a Because they have game. 20 beautiful acres. And yeah, we're in the garden. Cultural expert. <laughs> we're in the garden. Uh, yes. So not much of either. Not much of either, but probably a board game were to be one. Yeah. Okay. Well, then let me ask this. Canoeing or kayaking? Mm. I think both are fun. I'm terrible at both, but they're good. (laughs) Probably a canoe. Because there's more than one person. That's my thought. At least in a canoe, somebody else can take over for me. (laughs) Or you can blame somebody else that that they're steering wrong. (laughs) Quit steering. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Okay. I agree. Canoe. Yeah. Would you rather grow tomatoes or cucumbers? Cucumbers. They're easier, I think. Yes, they're tasty. They are tasty and they take over. What all do you grow? Uh Oh, it's like, what don't we grow? Because we have a researcher, corn, potatoes, peas, tomatoes, potatoes, garlic, beans, lettuce, kale, cabbage, herbs, rhubarb. What else is out there? Spinach, strawberries. It's like he does micro gardening, like like everything's condensed and he likes to have plants have friends with plants, that type of thing. We have apple, we have an orchard that I think I'll be 70 by the time I get a pear square. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have pictures of your garden? I'm legitimately curious to see how it looks. That sounds amazing. I'll send you a few. Please. I would love to see. Are you okay if I share them or do you want me to keep them? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I would love to share them. How much space does your garden take up? Oh, I think he has probably about half an acre, probably there. Like that's, that's all the amazing. The, that's kind of the food. And then we have lots of flower beds. I do more of the flower beds, intensive care. And then I he does love that. that. Yeah. I love that. We're in a similar zone, right? Yes. Like, so, wouldn't we be five? Yes. Yeah. Four or five Ish. because <laughs> you're going to be a little warmer down there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. I need to learn. 
we'll put that on the shelf for now, but I would love to learn. Okay. What's worse, laundry or dishes? Oh, laundry. Yeah. In the cupboard, when you put away cups, do the rims go up or down? Up. Up. This is, I did not realize how controversial this is, whether you put the rim up or down. The water cups go down, but the mugs go up. I don't know. Oh, see, I can appreciate that because if you put the rims down on glass, it doesn't matter. But a lot of mugs have script or something on them and then they're upside down if you put the mugs upside down. And people tend to take the mug by the handle and turn it up as they're pulling it up and then it bangs against everything else. So you just leave it up and you just pull it up. You guys, there are strategies to everything. I agree with that. That's actually, I'm thinking about my cupboard right now and that's exactly how it is. And the mugs look prettier when they're right side up too. Okay. Two more questions. Flats or heels? Generally flats now. Mm -hmm. Would you rather a cabin by the lake or a house on the beach for vacationing? Hey, parents. Yeah, you. Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you. And for us. As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves, we know what makes a fun and interesting podcast. So we decided to make it ourselves. Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting. We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. I would say for vacation, a house on the beach because I kind of live in that woods. Right, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Do you guys have a yeah. favorite vacation spot? We have gone to Barbados a number of years and mm. there's a lovely spot that we rent that is right on the beach and your ears just get numbed by the sound of the waves and you can go out mm. and you know swim. I mean, that's kind of the easy spot. Of course, Hawaii is always beautiful. It's just a little farther for us to get. There. Yeah. Yeah. I love Hawaii is my favorite, but I agree with you. It's the distance. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's little a little harder. Yeah. It's a long flight. Yeah. Where's your favorite spot in Hawaii? Oh, where did we like? I think Kanapali was where we had in Maui. Maui. Okay. Yeah. That was really nice. There's some of the smaller islands that I haven't been to that I'd really love to go. And the big island's so great for adventure. We did helicopter rides around there and yeah. all the waterfalls and all the different green, sand, you know, different colored sand beaches and the turtles laying their eggs. That was all really fun and so interesting. Yeah, I went to Molokai when I was there. Yes. Maui is yeah, Maui's the one yes. that I actually would like to go to next. And Molokai, you would love it. It is the true Hawaiian experience because it's not really like all of the commercialized aspects to it. It is very I would say it's as natural as can be and we biked everywhere. The food was the best of all the islands actually that I'd been to was Molokai. That's where I learned that eggs and brown rice taste really good together, right? Oh, like yeah, yeah. There was one place that we'd go to for breakfast. and You're like, right. Oh, what is that good. called? There's a name for it. There's like a have, whole thing they put together. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Were you on Malachi? No, we never went on Malachi. Oh. I think we could see it from where we were, but we never. Yeah. 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 Well, everyone, you need to visit Hawaii at least once. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of food, <laughs> a delicious food. We're talking about healthy guts. This book, Beyond Digestion, is such a great resource for any of you really interested in diving. We're just going to skim the surface in the content of this book. But I think before we talk about anything related to digestion, gut health, we need to define one, what is a healthy gut? 
And then consequently, how do we know if we do not have a healthy gut? So what are signs and symptoms that we may be experiencing, perhaps we don't even realize it, that could suggest that our gut health is not optimal? So number one, what is a healthy gut? And then number two, how might we know that it's not healthy? Okay, good question. Because there is no one perfect you know, epitome of this is what a healthy gut looks like. Yes. However, so everybody has their own fingerprint that they develop by the time they're age three. And then we, of course, can change that throughout our lifetime, just even with what we eat in the past 24 hours, we'll change what's in our gut. But we're typically looking for a healthy balance of about seven different families. And if we do a stool analysis, a comprehensive stool analysis over a few days, we can see, you know, do we have a good balance of these healthy families that work synergistically are working to serve us. These guys are there to serve us. And if we feed them, they look after us, right? So it's getting that nice balance and then making sure that we don't have any things that we don't want in there. And that could be like an overgrowth of one particular strain of things, too much of a good thing or not enough of a good thing, or some of the bad guys that sometimes can creep in there from, you know, our environment, our food, you know, stress can help disrupt things. So there's many different things. The signs that we typically get People often think, you know, pain, gas, bloating in the abdominal area, you know, loose stool or difficult to pass stool. So IBS kind of things, diarrhea, constipation. But sometimes it can be other things that we're not always thinking of. It can be mood, right? It can be anxiety or depression. It can be skin issues, rashes, stuff like that going on. It can be joint pain. It can be headaches. Because what happens is if we have a poor health in our gut, we can end up with a compromised gut lining, which you know people have heard of leaky gut. But what happens is the toxins start to leak out into the bloodstream and the immune system starts to attack. And we end up with inflammation, things going on in different parts of our body. And this is where we're getting the pain. So this is why gut health is connected to the rest of your body and why sometimes things like even anxiety and depression aren't a diagnosis unto themselves. They're actually a symptom of poor gut health. And would you say it's accurate you mentioned that not everybody's footprint is exactly the same, that the way that the body responds to those toxins is very unique to each individual. So it's almost like a autoimmune response, if you will, to those particular toxins in the body. Would that be accurate to say everybody's response to that could look very different? There wouldn't be a one-size-fits-all Oh, definitely. That's why individualized medicine is so important in these cases because people respond differently. We're all our unique body chemistry and our genes and our destiny, but sometimes, you know, there are things that environmentally will impact and we start to respond in different ways based on our genetics, based on our environment and based on our body chemistry, like what we're feeding it, how we do, how much sleep we get. You know, Mm -hmm. what kind of infections we might be carrying around with us because we carry around a lot of stuff with us. And often, you know, the body is designed just to just kind of shake hands and say, okay, you know, you can stay there. Just don't bug me. But then sometimes, you know, it starts to bug you and then it really starts to bug you and then you have to get it under control. Yeah. And I think it's an important thing for people to hear too, is the idea that it isn't a one size fits all and what could really bother somebody physically may not bother you at all. So, you know, it is a very individualized approach and understanding that the interventions then could also cause different responses in different people too. So I love that you focus very much on the individual 
approach to not just diagnosing, but then also treating as well. Food sensitivities and testing have become a much more familiar concept, I would say. Oh, I don't know, at least in the last decade, this idea that food could actually be causing more of our chronic health problems. And thank goodness that we're starting to make this correlation. As a fitness and nutrition coach myself, it is very enlightening. Even everything from the difference between simply eating organically versus non organic. But talk to us a little bit about testing. When we talk about gut health and we talk about the stool test you mentioned, there's three main specialty tests that I understood from your book stool testing, gluten and wheat testing, and then a more generalized food sensitivity test. Talk to us about the three tests, what they involve. And then ultimately, what do the results tell us? What do we do with those results? Yeah. And that's the thing with labs. You want to make sure that if you're doing a lab test, you understand exactly what it's meant to do because yes. they're not the be all and end all. They're, none of them are perfect. Mm-hmm. And then if you're doing it, is it going to give you information that is constructive? I mean, that's how I would go about it. There's, there, I mean, you can test so many different things, but what's going to be most productive? And that's why I kind of narrowed it down to those three to talk about in in the book, but the food sensitivity, there's different ones. If you look at your immune system, there's different immunoglobulins or different parts of our defenses. Okay. So we have, you know, our primary or 80% of our immune system that meets our environment is in our gastrointestinal tract and that's IgA. But when we're talking about food sensitivities and blood analysis, often it's IgG, which is floating around in the bloodstream. So it's what immune responses are primed in your bloodstream based on the proteins of different foods. So this one's not, I find, overly, you know, entirely accurate. It can give you some good preliminary idea of what's there, but sometimes it just shows you, you know, are you eating too much of something? Mm. And, and those levels might be high. So in that case, you're using it as a guided elimination tool. So you would take the, the things that are really high and you would pull them out of the diet maybe for like one to three months, usually three months, and then reintroduce them one at a time. Because then you've had a break from it. Maybe you just were eating too much. You just needed a break. The body likes variety. Then as you introduce it one at a time, then you can see it's like that black spot on the white paper. Now you can now see, does this really, you know, did my headache come back? Did my joint pain come back? And sometimes it could be, you know, quantity, you know, oh, I can have this much, but not this much. And other times it's like, no, you know what? I think I need to just stay off this for a little while longer. So there might be some foods that you can have once in a while and you do okay with. Some that you find that you just really need to stay away from because you're, you're truly intolerant. And then some you can find that you can reintroduce and be fine, just needed a break. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the food sensitivity side of it. There's another one that's a blood test that you can have done where you take your white blood And the blood food cell. sensitivity test was a blood test, right? That was... Well, that particular one, there's, I was going to talk about to two help more. guide elimination. Okay. Yeah, there's two more. There's the ALCAT test, which is a functional medicine test where they take the antigen of the food and they, or the protein of the food, and they introduce it to the white blood cell to see how your body responds. Mm. That one's more accurate because they're retesting that and they're taking specific proteins and then introducing it to a, you know, one of your healthy white blood cells to see how it responds. That one seems to be a little more accurate and it's also a little more expensive. And then there's a third one that I use often in clinic. It's bioimpedance testing, where we're taking everything in the world has a vibration and an energy. So we're taking the food vibration that's stored in the computer, passing it through 
the meridians of the body, much like you would do with an EEG or an EKG. You're just doing electrical impedance and seeing how the nervous system is responding to it. And then you can tell, you know, that's like a bell curve. There's some foods that are, you know, totally fine. Other ones that, uh, you know what, maybe we need to reduce, rotate or remove. And then some ones that are the outliers that maybe are stressing or weakening the body that we might choose to remove for, you know, three months. So similar to using the IgG blood test, but we're sitting down and using a different a nervous system response to it, which I use a lot because over use of, you know, hundreds of patients mm-hmm. and then just using it as a guided elimination tool people are happy with it. And they often say, you know what, I didn't really have any surprises. And if there was a surprise, it's often because they love that food, but they know that it's not really great. Yeah. For them. yeah. Do you find that one to be relatively specific, the the nervous system one, or is it just more of a sort of generalized tool? I find that it is, if people are prepared properly and they're coming in at a really good baseline energy and lots to go with that, but it can be very accurate. Mm -hmm. If somebody's coming in and they've been drank a bunch of coffee or they've had a big workout, you know, or they've taken some antihistamines. Right. So it's helping, you know, people prepare for the test. So they're coming in and we can get an accurate reading. If they're sick with something, we're not going to get an accurate reading. Like if they have a cold or a flu, they send them home. Mm -hmm. There's that. And you asked about the wheat testing and the wheat testing is another blood test that you're looking at. And it's looking at antigens or proteins in the body against wheat. And there's over a hundred different proteins in wheat and it's measuring on 24. So it does include the two that you would measure for celiac disease, but it's doing many other ones so that you can see, you know, where your sensitivity is for wheat in particular. So you can see how am I, is it that? So that one would be for somebody that you're suspecting is celiac or strongly sensitive, and then they could see how sensitive are they, or if they are celiac and they want to see how well they're doing with their diet, you know, is their body clean or is it still responding? So we're looking there. So there's varying degrees to that one is what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. You could have a very, very low so that it could suggest you're not really that sensitive to gluten or wheat. Is that correct? Or you could see a very high sensitivity. Am I understanding that right? If you're eating wheat, it could show you how sensitive you are. If you're not eating wheat or gluten, it can show you how well you're actually doing with that. Because if you're really super strict, then it should show up kind of low. But if you're getting things that are sneaking into the diet, it's going to spike. So sometimes people wish to find out, you know, how well am I doing? Because sometimes there's hidden things that we don't think about. So it's good to test on that once in a while too, especially if people are having health issues. They think they're eating clean or eating wheat or gluten-free and something's happening. So sometimes mm-hmm. good to test for that. Really quick for these tests that you've just mentioned so far, give us some sense of what does cost look like generally? I realize this is a going to be different in different areas too, but which of the cheaper, like cheaper options if somebody is interested, but very nervous about the cost gauge the cost for us a little bit and how insurance plays a role in any of this. Yes. And it will be different based on your jurisdiction, obviously, sure. and the benefits that you might have with your through work, right? Your healthcare benefits you may have. The comprehensive stool analysis that we didn't talk a whole lot about, it's around 500, 550 Canadian. The LCAT test can probably the primo blood test for food sensitivities or food intolerance. That one can range from like 700 to 1200 Canadian. So you're, and that's you're a one-time. Of, yes. Like you're not yes. having to get repeat. 
you may choose yeah you may choose to once in a while but initially it'll give you a pretty good you know mm. good idea but have had people repeat tests you know every 3 years 5 years just to see how they're doing cuz again your body can change and then the IgG blood tests usually range around $500 and then the bioimpedance when you come in the clinic it's around 300 Canadian dollars so you know often people pick the cheap and cheerful when they're seeing me they're coming in and they're doing that others prefer the blood work and I'm okay I'll work with anything it's just mm-hmm. understanding the nuances of how each test kind of behaves and mm-hmm. to know how to implement because you can't just take the numbers and go you've got to have some kind of idea of you know the health of the individual that individual chemistry like we talked about initially and then put that together with the results of their test in order to help them construct their guided elimination diet right so it's right. not just taking out things you know because sometimes people can be sensitive to like an outlier thing and that's really what's causing them the inflammation mm. Mm. And you mentioned the stool test. Talk to us a little bit about the stool test. So I like the one that you do over three days. So you're it's a take-home test. You're actually taking samples out of your stool and putting them in little vials and shipping them off to be evaluated. They do PCR, which is your genetic testing. So they're saying, you know, what is in here that we might expect? And then they also do microscopic where they're looking at it and saying, oh, what do we see? Right? What mm. do we see in there? And then they would record that you're getting back. And then they might also culture where they're taking samples, putting it in a Petri dish, feeding it and seeing what grows. And that's, you know, yeast is a common one for that to see if we're ever to culture any yeast because, you know, naturally we have yeast, but sometimes we get overgrowths of yeast, which can cause Mm -hmm. issues. And here we can see, you know, how prevalent is it? Are there a few? Are there, you know, a lot so that we can kind of understand that. And then in that report, you can look and it tells you, how well you're doing with your seven healthy families of bacteria? How well are they balanced? Do we have any you know, bacteria in there that doesn't really cause issues unless there's too much of it? How well are we making our short chain fatty acids, which is our byproduct and very important for keeping us healthy of the microbiome? Helps us understand that, helps us understand inflammation markers, how well we're digesting food, whether there's any other infectious things like viruses, bacteria, tapeworms, pinworms, flukes, mm-hmm. protozoa. So if somebody's had, you know, repeated food poisoning, right? That could even be like, you know, drinking some lake water, right? Yeah. So things like that can show up and be helpful. Yeah. I loved your story in your book of when your <laughs> when your test results came or what was that? That made me laugh. <laughs> you were talking about that in your book when your package came up to the front door. <laughs> oh, I had my package. And you and your husband. For, I had my, <laughs> so I did a stool analysis and I had my package ready for pickup. It's like, great, purelator's picking up my poo. But my husband's like, what's that at the door? Because he's always thinking, oh, is it something I need to bring in for you? So yeah. kind. Is it Amazon? Right. I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's my lab sample. Oh, it's your shit at the door. <laughs> All right. <laughs> literally, quite yeah. literally. Yeah. That made me laugh. Yeah. And a couple questions. So another thought that I have is where do kids fall into this testing? Like, is there a certain age that we would say don't bother testing beneath this age? And are there signs and symptoms in kids that are more mm. prevalent? Because we know that the whole belly pain thing in kids, as an ER provider, I can tell you, is one of the most like non-specific in adults too, but it's it can be so many different things. So talk to us a little bit about maybe our children, teens and below. 
Absolutely. And you're right, because, you know, belly aches, I mean, it's the nervous system there is so vague and how it provides us information as to what's going on. So, of course, you want to rule out, you know, the obvious, like, have they gone to the bathroom? You know, like, are they eliminating regularly? Or, you know, are they just constipated? Is there a twist or a constriction? Is an appendix, you know, did they fall and hit their spleen? You know, like, we want to rule out all those things like you would be doing in the ER, doing your imaging and stuff like that to make sure that there's nothing ominous happening. Once we've kind of ruled out the ominous stuff, then we're looking at what's in their water. Do we have lead? Do we have mercury? Do we have like heavy metal stuff? Just recognizing that. Do we have mold? You know, just looking at things like that. Then family medical history. Is there a medical family history of celiac disease? That type of thing. You know, we've got to check in on that. Kids can have bellies that blow right up and get really bloated and they're constipated or diarrhea. And this could be signs of celiac, right? They're just not feeling well. They're kind of foggy brain, they're not developing properly. There's a whole gamut of things that you look for, even with like forehead development and eye placure that you're looking at in children for identifying, you know, could they potentially have celiac disease? Once kind of the ominous things are aside, they hate needles. They don't want that blood work. That's where right. the bioimpedance comes in because I can throw the one end of the wand in the diaper and work at the other end. And, you know, I don't have to do the whole gamut of 250 foods. I can just do mm-hmm. gluten. I can just do dairy or, or the five foods that the mom kind of thinks it might be. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we can see how the body's responding and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you want everybody to eating as varied a diet as possible. It's right. not about trying to take a bunch of stuff away, but sometimes we do need that break or we do need to pull something out because there is a sensitivity. And I've seen lots of different like cinnamon or garlic or tomatoes, or, you know, sometimes it's not just dairy, wheat, and sugar. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's these oddball things, you know, mustard, sesame, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. knows peanuts, which is more anaphylactic, but sometimes, you know, you're looking at different nuances of groups of foods, right? Like nightshades or lectins or things like that. And I would also throw out for people listening and watching, and Dr. Laura mentioned it earlier too, but rashes are one of the things that are kind of the sneakiest symptoms of potential sensitivities to foods. So if you don't have a clear explanation for reoccurring rash on your kid or your teenager this is certainly an area that I would explore for sure, because it tends to be one of the things we don't correlate as quickly maybe as we should. Rashes are big and and in children, they're so evasive, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There's so many different ways the skin reacts. And sometimes it's just a way of like it processing stuff. But if it's happening recurring, yeah. Always look for where the rashes are and what they look like and how they behave because they almost have a pattern to them or, you know, a particular look to them, take pictures of them so you can bring them in and show them to your Mm. medical provider so that, you know, sometimes that can be helpful because sometimes you make the appointment and by the time you get there, the rash is gone and you're like, oh, this stuff is there. Um, (laughs) I promise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But then you're worried that it might happen again. So, and then when it does happen again, you'd be like, okay, right? It's a learning process. So you don't always yeah. get that diagnosis right up front. Sometimes it's a bit of a learning process. You mentioned, you touched on this a little bit. I want to hone in on this because I hear this a lot. And I think people aren't doing it correctly. You talked about a guided elimination diet. A lot of people are doing this on their own, You know, their own guided elimination diet. They're 
temporarily eliminating gluten. But I think a lot of people don't do elimination diets and then reintroduction properly. So tell us one, how long do you need to actually eliminate something from your diet? If you're truly wanting to assess sensitivity from just an elimination standpoint. And then I like how you described the reintroduction, especially if you're eliminating more than one thing. Just tell us how we should be doing that. Absolutely. That's a really good point, Anna. What I would do is, you know, sometimes I'll say eliminate for a month, but I prefer three months because it can take up to a month for a rash to disappear from something. And we want to make sure that we're really giving the body a break. So three months is what I tell my patients. You're going to take these things out of your diet for three months. And then when it comes to reintroduction, you're going to do them one at a time, very isolated. Don't mix it up. So if you've eliminated you know, gluten and dairy, don't try a pizza, right? Because they're both in there. Don't eat lasagna. You're going to have you know, just noodles, right? Or just cheese. So say you're trying the, you know, just the wheat. So you're doing, bringing it back in. You would eat a little bit of it one to three times a day for two or three days and watch how your body reacts because food sensitivities can take three minutes to three days to show up. So we're giving it that time. We watch it very carefully and how our body is behaving. If something comes up and you're going, oh, right, there's the headache, there's the bloat, there's the rash, because it takes some What time. about diarrhea? Does it, could it take how long approximately with diarrhea would you expect somebody mm. to react in that way? Sometimes that can be immediate because many yeah. physiological, you know, sometimes it can be three minutes. Sometimes yeah. it can yeah. be three days. Sometimes it can, you know, be different. So you just kind of be prepared. If you get responses, stop eating that food and give it a break for another one to three months and wait three to five days before you reintroduce the next food. Your gut lining cells turn over every three to five days. So if you've just done something that really makes them angry mm. and disrupted things, give them a chance to reformulate, right? Regroup before you put the next thing down there to see how things respond. If you didn't have any issues reintroducing that food after three days and you feel okay, you're not getting any reactions, then you can probably bring the next food in, in a similar fashion. I always say, keep notes, Yes. People, you have to take a journal. (laughs) This is, you got to have an organized system here and journal it and the timeframes have a calendar plus journal. (laughs) And I mean, I've gone through this myself and I've had issues with things. There's things that I cannot bring back. There's things that I play with. Initially, when I was doing a gut reset, I was, you know, I think I had really bad leaky gut. I was reacting to so many things. I would eat a potato and with, while I was still chewing it in my mouth and, you know, I probably had already swallowed some of that. I would have this patch on my leg that would rise up and it would be so itchy. I'd want to scratch my leg off. And it was the mm. same spot every time. It's not, the body is so weird. Let's just throw it out there. That is so strange. <laughs> it is. You guys, strange things happen. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, I've whispered at you and now I'm screaming. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> but now I find, you know, I can have a potato once in a while. I know my joints get tight and sore and I feel them. But if I have a little bit, it's not the end of the world. I'm not scratching my skin off. Yeah. It doesn't flame me. So it's like how much, but if I were to have that and, you know, five nights a week, I'd not be a happy camper, right? Mm-hmm. I would not be feeling mm-hmm. well. So it's just mm-hmm. kind of no, absolutely no gluten, absolutely no dairy right now. 
and I don't really do much sugar, but these other things I kind of play with a little bit because yeah. I think we should be able to. And I'm always like, okay, you know, like when I was little, I could eat everything. So what's wrong with me? You know, I should be able to get back to that. So I'm always looking for different ways because I think sometimes through stress and not treating our body very well, I think sometimes the nervous system has these primed responses that we have to retrain. So I'm doing some learning right now with like vagal nerve because vagal nerve is huge mm. in, the, in the digestion. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, can we try to calm things and calm the reaction to some things? Mm-hmm. Like I think some things just aren't meant for our bodies to process, but then I think other things, yes, it should be able to. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, just to it's a recap, lifelong learning. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Just to recap, so for people listening, so you eliminate for at a minimum, we'll say one month or six weeks at a minimum, ideally three months that you are eliminating something from your diet. So then when you are reintroducing, you're reintroducing one food at a time. And then you eat that approximately three times a day for how many days you said? About three days. Or if you have a reaction, stop. So you're going to eat it three times a day for about three days. Or if you have a reaction to it, that is clear, then you stop it and you document all of that. If you have a reaction, you've stopped that food. And before you reintroduce another food, you must wait a minimum of another three days. And then you can reintroduce. So specifically, if we're talking gluten and dairy, you're going to reintroduce maybe just gluten three times a day for three days. If you're doing okay with that, then you can continue to eat gluten. Don't stuff your face. <laughs> yeah, and keep I would it say, at minimum. Yeah, I would say with the gluten, sometimes you know we don't want to be eating it three times a day if we're reintroducing mm, it. We right. Probably, you know, because it is hard on the body. We really don't have the enzymes to digest it. Most people's bodies will repair with you know the time period. But for those that are sensitive, it takes yeah. about five hours. Restricted. To yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Restricted. be gentle. Be gentle yeah. with your body. But the point being, so if you're going to introduce that, you can continue a restricted sense of gluten specifically, but then you can add the dairy. That's after you have introduced gluten for approximately three days. Then you can introduce dairy and the same thing goes three times a day for a minimum of three days. Assess, stop if you're responding poorly. Otherwise, continue in a restricted fashion moderation people like she just said moderation but i think that's really important i want everybody to be taking notes if you are eliminating because i think people are not eliminating and fully understanding it's not going to benefit you if you're not doing it correctly so make sure that you write that down and you're journaling these things so that your time frames are accurate one of the best things in this book is if the whole book isn't good enough then at the very end you offer these incredible resources, these lists. The last thing I want to touch on here is you really hone in on sleep and gut health. And I loved all of the things that you talked about at the end. You, For people listening here, this is one of the things that you're going to get in the book when you buy it because you definitely want to check this out. She talks about improving quality of sleep through this whole list of stimulants to avoid routines that will promote sleep bedroom air quality, bedding and pillows. There's so many incredible recommendations. Share with us a few, because this is such a common complaint of my clients. Sleep is one of... It's up there. 
share with us some of your most valuable sleeping tips that maybe we have not thought of or heard before. Absolutely. Because if your body's not sleeping, sleep is not inactive. Sleep is a very active state of restoration. And we absolutely need to make sure that we're sleeping well. And so routine, our bodies love, love, love routine. So we want to make sure that um, we're going to bed at the same time. We're waking up at the same time. Our bedroom is our sanctuary. So we want to remove any electronics, TVs, screens, phones charging, get them out. Say that again. Say that again. My clients have heard me say this so many times. My followers have heard me say this so many times. Say it one more time for the people in the back. (laughs) Yeah. Screens, TVs, any electronics, get them out of the bedroom. Cell phones and TVs need to get out of the bedroom. It is a place for sleeping. We are constantly stimulated by noise, noise, noise. You need to have a place in your life where the body can relax. And that is your bedroom. There's like one activity that is appropriate for bedrooms. Oh, two. And it does not involve (laughs) two. two. That's true. (laughs) I meant other than sleep, there's one activity that is generally encouraged in bedrooms plus sleep. Absolutely. Okay. Sorry. I interrupted you. For the people in the back, no screens, no technology. (laughs) Get it out. Okay. Continue. So your air quality of your bedroom, right? So you want the humidity between 45 and 55%. You want a HEPA filter in there to get all the dust mites. I mean, your skin cells are feeding these dust mites. A lot of people are sensitive to dust mites. This makes the upper respiratory tract respond. It makes you stuff you can't sleep. Bedding, you want your bedding natural fibers, cotton, wool, silk, right? You want to keep it all very natural so that it breathes. And the temperature of your bedroom should be a little cooler. I think around 60, 65, starts to get 65. That's too warm. Like 60, 62 is kind of nice. You want it a bit cooler. So that's all important. So calm, fresh air, that's the right temperature, the right humidity, that's clean. You're going to bed at the same time. And all that your body is learning to do when it goes into that room is either sleep or sex. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, something that you reserve as your sanctuary. If you need an alarm clock, you can put an alarm clock in there. Try to get one that's not a blue light alarm clock. If you any of your appliances you have in there, like your fans and your purifiers have blue light things on them, put the electrical tape over them so that you're mm-hmm. not seeing that blue light. That blue light triggers your retinal cells and stops your body's release of melatonin. Melatonin is a hormone. We want it to be a natural release. Yeah. And you guys, I did a whole podcast. There's a whole blog post with all resources on a whole bunch of ways to improve sleeping at night. And what Dr. Laura just mentioned, I share a clock that we use in our home where you can actually turn off. It's a sunrise alarm. You can turn off the screen and it still functions as an alarm. And then the light gets brighter and brighter in order to wake you up. But it's exactly what she just said. There's no light on the face of it until you have to wake up and it's still the alarm clock still functions. So definitely check that out. She has so many, I mean, you have so many resources in this book that are just, you know, amazing and beyond digestion, literally beyond it. She talks about so many other things other than food. Any other thoughts that you want people to know? And then also where can they find you? Any other thoughts? I mean, it's just always keeping an an open mind to things that, you know, if you have diagnoses that you're working with, you know, start with fresh eyes and fresh ears to mm. see because potentially there's something more at the root of what's going on. Are you getting to the root cause of your issue? Because that's when you will start to fully heal. And a lot of what you need is truly within you. 
you need guidance and that from others, but your body has so much for you. And if you're quiet enough and you listen, you already know. As far as finding me, I'm on LinkedIn. So you can always look me up in the LinkedIn. Beyond Digestion, the book's on Amazon worldwide. So you can find it there. My website is South End Guelph and Guelph is G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. So it's southendguelph.ca. So you can find me there. And that's all. Thank you so much. And her beautiful 20 acres. We're all going to come visit your garden. All of these links, you guys will, of course, be on the show notes at Hammers and Hugs on my website, hammersandhugs.com, YouTube. It's all below. You can check it out. Definitely click on the link to buy her book. You will not regret having that resource on your shelf. It has been an honor. I can't wait to see your garden pictures. I've learned so much reading this book. And I just pray God's blessing over your heart, your home, and everything that you do and your clients and patients. Thank you so much, Anna, and blessings to you. Yeah, take care. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Imperfectly Empowered Podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts from today. Head to your preferred podcasting platform and give the show an honest review and let me know what you think. Remember, you cannot be redefined, only redeveloped one imperfect day at a time. Your story matters and you are loved.